Hebrews 11 is a very powerful um, chapter. We, we often call it um, Faith's Hall of Fame. And it's the kind of stuff that when you read it about other people, it sounds amazing. And uh, it's the kind of reading that's uh, it's a blessing to you. But uh, I just want to tell you that talking about faith and living by faith are two different things. Amen. And uh, I want to begin tonight at the end of Hebrews 11. And we're going to move right over into uh, the beginning of chapter 12. I know when this was written, they didn't have an 11 and 12 with them. Um, but we're just going to kind of connect these two links tonight if we could. Uh, I would like for us to begin at 37. And uh, this just kind of touches the very, very tip of the, the story here. Hebrews 11 and 37, if you're there, say amen. amen. They were stoned. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Verse 38, of whom the world was not worthy. Of whom the world was not worthy. Think about that testimony. The world wasn't even worthy of these people. They wandered in deserts and in mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Oh, I wish I had time to talk about that. Verse number 1 of chapter 12. He said, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every Weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, Amen. looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Amen. Anybody in here feel like finishing the race tonight? Praise God. Praise God. I don't know who I came to encourage tonight, but I feel like somebody in this place needs to hear what I'm getting ready to say. And I want to encourage you. You're almost there. Don't quit running. I said you're almost there. Don't quit running. Would you put your Bibles down right now? I'm going to ask you to help me pray that the Lord would have his will. In his way in this house right now. I want God to perform what he has desired to perform. Father, speak in this room tonight. Speak in this room tonight, God, to every heart, every life, every mind. In the name of Jesus, I plead the blood of Calvary over this house. And I ask, Lord, that your divine will would be accomplished, Lord. Let my will crumble to the ground that you, O oh God, could have free course to move in this house. In the mighty name of Jesus Christ, we ask it tonight in Jesus' name. Let the church say amen. amen. 
Now, if you're going to help me preach tonight, would you just clap and let me know that? Would you do that? Clap as unto the Lord, for he is good. Praise the Lord. Man, you may be seated. If I sound a little funny to you tonight, don't turn around and give bad eyes to the sound booth. They're doing a good job. I am, uh, I am in the, uh, the full transition of uh, warm to cold to warm to cold to warm to cold weather. My voice is uh, proof of that tonight, but we're going to preach anyway. Amen. In a book that was published a few years ago entitled My Brush with History, retired United States Air Force Lieutenant Colonel John Clark Alberts wrote a very short chapter about his brush with history. He recounted an incident that occurred when he was just a little boy. Sometime around 1929 or 1930, he and his mother were standing on a curb and they were watching a patriotic parade. Uh, some Memorial Day, Decoration Day, maybe a Fourth of July story, he said. But during a pause, an old open car. He said, I don't know if it was a Model A or a Model T, but it was an open car. It stopped right in front of where he and his mother were standing. Sitting in the back of that car were four or five very elderly gentlemen wearing blue coats and blue campaign hats. One of those old men spotted young John standing on the sidewalk and called him and said, Come here, Sonny. So the little boy looked up at his mother and she nodded and gave her permission. John ran into the street and he reached up and he took the hand of that veteran who sat in the back of that car. The old man leaned down to him and told him, he said, Now, Sonny, when you go back, you tell your mother, that you are only two handshakes away from the revolution. You are only two handshakes away from the revolution. The old veteran of Grant's army, the Grand Army of the Republic, explained what he meant. And he said, son, when I was your age, I was standing on a street corner just like you are, watching a parade just like this one. When a carriage stopped in front of me with four or five old men sitting in the back of it who wore tri-cornered hats. One of them called me over and he reached his hand out. I shook hands with him. That day I shook the hand of a veteran of Washington's army. Now you are shaking my hand. So go back and tell your mother that you're only two handshakes from a revolution. What do you say? I want to tell you something. We are not as far disconnected from our past as we think we are. History is not as far behind us as we think it is. There are different kind of photographs you can find, historical accounts. Uh, you can find uh, pictures of former presidents shaking hands of former presidents. For instance, President Clinton as a young man was shaking the hand of uh, J.F. Kennedy president of the United States, and there's one of John F. Kennedy shaking the hand of uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt when Kennedy's father was an ambassador to England, and you understand the time that spans with a handshake, that a young man that's shaking the hand of a man in Grant's army was shaking the hand of a man who had shook the hand of Washington's army. We are told, coming out of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, about 
people of precious like faith who have stood in the trenches and have fought for the faith, died not even having possessed the promise. And we move in to the 12th chapter and it tells us that we are compassed with a great cloud of witnesses. That cloud of witnesses continues to expand as men and women go on from this side to the other. I've heard my grandfather make reference many times through the years to the fact that the first Pentecostal church is getting quite a choir on the other side of saints of God who have gone on before us. I'm telling you tonight that I'm not preaching about American history. What I'm preaching about to you is that you and I are descendants of something by far greater than a revolutionary war. We are connected to something higher than Washington, Adams, or Jefferson. You and I are direct descendants of the greatest event in human history that has ever transpired. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all together in one place. There was one mind in that room. There was one accord in that room. When suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled all the house. I want to tell you tonight, I'm not a part of a different church. I'm not a part of a branch off of that church. I'm not a part of a church that has been revolutionized or reformed off of that church. I'm a part of the blood-bought church of the living God. And we are shaking hands tonight with destiny. I'm telling you, we are not that far removed. heard the stories of my great-grandfather in the 1920s fighting in World War I and then coming with a, a free, very free, broken spirit, angry young man. Uh, he was, uh, uh, the stories have been told of him driving a horse and, and, and buggy and that uh, he one day drove across the property of somebody to move a load down and the guy came out and said, I don't like you on my property and he just started spouting off, and he said, well, then I'll just kill you. You know, that's just kind of guy I was. He, was. he was tired of all that life and had seen war and had seen some terrible things that had happened, and he didn't want anything to do with that until he shook hands with somebody that had shook hands with the Apostle Paul, if I could say it like that. And he began to understand that there was more to life than what he had seen, and he came in contact with Something that was so real to him. It wasn't about the Oval Office. It wasn't about uh, what was going on at Capitol Hill. It wasn't about any of that. It was coming into grips with what had happened at Calvary's Hill. And all of a sudden his life became transformed. And he didn't know what to do. He didn't really know how to put it all together. He wasn't a very uh, learned man when it came to reading and knowledge and all of those things. And so he started to live for God and to do great things for God. Or so he thought when... About that time, he came in contact with a group of people who were, who were uh, they were false doctrine headhunters. They were out to disprove this oneness theology that he believed in, that he had come in contact with. They were, if I could say it like this, they were sons of the Reformation. They weren't sons of Jerusalem. They were a branch off of Rome. And they decided that they were going to conquer this young man who was on fire for God. 
And so they began to quiz him about the Godhead. And finally he threw his hands up and he looked at those men and they backed him in a corner. And he said, I'll tell you what, I don't have an answer for you right now, but I will. And the story is told of my great-grandfather, Bishop R.B. Bingham Sr., that he walked out of that meeting with nothing but a Bible tucked under his arm. And he went down into the Tom Bigby River bottom and had a prayer meeting with God. And he opened up that Bible and things began to be made plain to him. That in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and ye are complete in him. It was said that Brother Bingham came up out of that river bottom. He didn't go to a seminary. He didn't go to a Bible college. He didn't call somebody and get counseling. He didn't open up an Adam Clark commentary. He walked down into that river bottom and got a hold of the one true living God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Jacob. He picked up that Bible, and when he picked up that Bible, he began to shake hands with Abraham. He began to shake hands with Isaac. He began to shake hands with Jacob. And all of a sudden, history came closer into the present, and he realized there's only one God, and we will worship that God. I want you to have a perfectly clear understanding tonight. I want this to be perfectly clear, and I hope it is. I've preached this and taught this a long time, but I, I believe this with all my heart. The church that you and I are a part of did not get its start on January 1st, 1901 in Topeka, Kansas. <laughs> I want to tell you that we did not start at Azusa Street in Los Angeles. As a matter of fact, we weren't resurrected at Azusa Street. Do you realize out of those two meetings that has been celebrated for years and years, the only thing that came out of that was spirit baptism, and not a single man or woman was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ at Azusa? Not a single man or woman was baptized in Jesus' name at Topeka, Kansas. Why does that matter? Because if we're not careful, we'll start shaking hands with people that are moving in a different direction than we are. You don't have to get off course very far to shake hands with some people that will tell you you don't have to be baptized in Jesus' name as long as you're baptized. If you're not careful, you'll shake hands with some history that says you don't have to be filled with the Holy Ghost. It's a gift that God gives some people, and if you're blessed, you're one that gets it. But I like reaching back there and grabbing hold of Luke as he wrote the book of Acts and shaking hands in Acts chapter 2 and Acts, come on somebody, in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 and Acts chapter 19, they were all baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and they all received the gift of the Holy Ghost. I got in a, I'm on, the nicest way I can say it's a conversation with a gentleman one day who pastored a different kind of church and uh, we happened to be on the same job site he was installing some some work some trim work or whatever and he said so you're a you're Pentecostal I said, yeah he says you guys are tongue talkers I said yes sir he said you realize how much confusion that creates 
What do you mean? He said, do you realize when you speak in tongues and there's nobody to interpret that, all it does is creates confusion. I said, maybe you're missing something here, brother. I said, you're talking about the gifts of the Spirit with tongues and interpretation. People are trying to function in the gifts of the Spirit without the Holy Ghost. But let me tell you how much confusion the tongues that I'm talking to you about brings. Let me, you ask the question, so let me give you an answer. So let me tell you in the second chapter of the book of Acts, when they came walking out of that upper room and they were speaking in other tongues, there was no confusion in the street. The men and the women that were there for the Feast of Pentecost said, what is this that's going on? Are these people drunk with wine? And there was a voice that came stepping out of that upper room and said, these are not drunk as ye suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that. This is that. This is that. Do you know what Peter was doing? Peter was reaching all the way back from John, Luke, Mark, Matthew. And he reached all the way back to the book of Joel. And he took Joel by the hand. And he said, this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. That in the last day, saith God, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Hey, I'm telling you, we're shaking hands tonight with a history. Don't you quit running. There's a cloud of witnesses that's rooting us all. I'm probably old school, old fashioned about a lot of things. There's some things I express behind closed doors that I never say openly in the pulpit. But I love this apostolic way. I love this apostolic way. And I've had to be careful through the years to not let my love for certain things get in my way of what God was trying to do and let us have a move of God. I find myself at a different place in life than I've ever been. It's so funny, when I go to youth meetings now, it kind of feels weird. I was sitting in a conference this week, and, and uh, you know, they had some lights and some things going. It was, it, it was good. Holy Ghost moving, kids getting the Holy Ghost, all kinds of stuff. And uh, I began to reflect about my time on those youth committees, Dad. And I, re- I remember, I- I'll never forget this, I remember... I was a state youth president, and we moved our convention to downtown Indianapolis. Man, we'd hit the big time. We moved to the Marriott downtown, and man, we were, we were stroking on all eight cylinders. And so I said, look, man, these people, they come. We, we, we put out the offering, and nobody really gives. I said, so why? Now, I know this is a risk, okay? I said, so why don't we charge a $5 registration? We're walking in hot cotton, son, $5. And I'll never forget the pastor that came. We were getting ready to start. There was a 1,000 plus people in the room. And I saw this pastor that had fire in his bosom come walking down the aisle, and he wasn't looking at nobody. He was coming right at me. He was ticked off. I mean, he was ticked. And he walked up to me. I had the microphone in my hand. I'm getting ready to start church. And he looked at me. He said, you mean to tell me I got to pay to come to church? I said, no, sir. And maybe it was the wrong thing to say. I was trying to be sweet because I was trying to start church. I said, no, sir, don't worry about it. I said, I'll take care of your registration. I'll pay for it myself. I've got money. 
Well, you got money. Why are you worried about $5 registration? It wasn't that it was a $5 registration. It's that it wasn't his idea. That's the way it is. The older we get, I start looking at things and I'm like, that's not the way it was when I was on the youth committee. That's not the way it was when I was the youth pastor. I'm going to tell you something. You just listen to what I'm telling you. I don't mind them changing the music. And I don't mind them putting a few lights up there and a little fog machine and the video. Get, I don't mind any of that because I fought those battles and won. Amen. I've sat down to meetings where we took backlashings because we, we had different colored lights on the platform. And my only response was, do you know how many got the Holy Ghost last night? It may be different than something I, I, I was used to, but we were, we were stepping out and we were trying it. Somebody said, you don't need all that smoke. I said, I know, but the Lord even sent Moses some. He did. They're great. Why in the world got that smoke machine? I said, I don't know, but it filled all the house and the priest couldn't even minister. I mean, you, you can cut up about but I'm going to tell you something. We got to be careful in our search for relevance. That we don't start grabbing the wrong hands in the midst of the smoke. And connecting ourselves to things that are going to disconnect us from our true source of power. And authority. what I want to know is, are they still getting the Holy Ghost? Are they still being baptized in Jesus' name? Are we still seeing miracles, signs, and wonders? You seeing it? Every time we worship. I know some would disagree with this because they don't like the style. But you hear me, every time we worship, we're worshiping just like the apostles did. It may be a different kind of beat and they may not have had drums and they may not have had uh, PA systems. But I tell you one thing, they were some long-winded jokers. They were. They preached so long people were falling asleep and falling out the window. And then when he had to go raise him up off the ground, he went back upstairs and started preaching again. That's my kind of man. Praise God. If the Apostle Paul were to walk into one of our churches today, I know he wouldn't understand English. And I know he wouldn't understand a lot of the things that, that we do. I, I understand that. As a matter of fact, there'd be some things that were foreign to him that we do that's nothing but an American custom. If you travel abroad, you realize that when you walk in somewhere and you stick your hand out and say, praise the Lord, and they're like, we don't shake hands here. There's things I'm sure that we do that the Apostle Paul would not recognize. I'm sure there's things we do that Peter would not recognize. But if he were to come in here and sit on the second row in an apostolic choir, get to singing a little bit. And some sinners stand up and walk down the aisle and begin to repent of their sins. He's I recognize that. On the day of Pentecost, I told them, you got to repent of your sins and be baptized in the name of... I promise you that if we carried somebody to that baptistry, the Apostle Paul would be jumping and shouting, saying, you've got to be baptized in Jesus' name. Got to. Got to. There's some things that we do that they, they, they wouldn't understand, but... Just as soon as we laid hands on somebody and they begin to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave the utterance, 
the apostle Peter could say, that is something that I recognize. Now hear me today. I feel like that there have been some things in our modern movements that we've put up with for the sake of relevance. And I don't want to beat a dead horse. But we got to be very, very careful. I received another report just this week of a church that I'm going to call, whether respectfully or not, I'm going to call them a former apostolic church. And I received a word from a man that's been very closely connected to that church that they had recently had some ministry transpire in that church and the Holy Ghost tried to break out. And some folks started to speak in other tongues in the altar. And they were informed by some of the leadership that was walking through there trying to keep them quiet. We don't want to scare anybody, so don't be speaking in tongues. That's why I call them formerly apostolic. Let me tell y'all what I know tonight. When somebody walks into this church, they've already heard about us. They already know what we believe. They already know we're tongue talkers. They already know we're aisle runners. They already know we dance and shout. Let's not let them down when they get here. Let's have revival. Hallelujah. I can reach back and shake hands with that old fisherman that had a problem with his attitude sometimes. And I can connect with that old fisherman. And we can talk about the same things that Jesus said to him. You follow after me. And I'll make you fishers of men. Peter could sit down with us at a dining room table with somebody. When we open up the word and begin to rightly divide the word of truth from the prophet Isaiah. He was wounded in 53 for our transgression. He was bruised for our iniquity. And I can just see old Peter over there saying, that's him. That's him. That, that, that's him. That's the one I preached about. He was wounded for our, oh yes he was. He was bruised for our iniquity. And Peter, I was there the night it happened. The chastisement of our peace is upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I can hear Peter cheering us on. Saying, I believe it. I was there. I saw it. I was in a conversation with someone the other day during a Bible study. We began to discuss creeds. They had some questions about the Apostles' Creed. And so I shared with them, I said, before we go any further, let me tell you one thing about the Apostles' Creed. And then we'll talk anything you want to talk about it. I said, here's the interesting thing about the Apostles' Creed. When the Apostles' Creed was written, every apostle of the original 12 apostles were dead. You know what that means? Not one apostle believed the Apostles' Creed. Not one. We got people putting it up on their website. I, 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 forgive me, may, maybe this is just a little too much, but I about lost it last year when people were apostolic people. We're celebrating on Facebook uh, National Reformers Day. I'm like, do you know who Martin Luther was? <laughs> you know who that guy was? And we're reaching out, shaking hands with that. Apostolic Church is having Ash Wednesday and Maundy Thursday. What's wrong with us? 
Come on now. There's only one thing about that week I recognize. And that was that he was wounded. Oh, yeah, we preach about it. There's power. There's amazing things that happen when he came riding. And said, oh, yes, yes, yes. And we talk about the communion that happened at the Passover. But I'm telling you right now, folks, listen to what I'm telling I am not. I am not. You write it down a million times. I am not about to shake hands with a group of people and connect myself to doctrines that are disregarding the power of the death, burial, and the resurrection. I ain't doing it. Oh, God. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, don't you quit running. This is what you need to know, and I, ho I really do hope this helps somebody tonight. When we start talking about the book of Acts, the reason I get excited is because we are a part of them, and they are a part of us. And the writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that our great heroes of the past, from Abraham all the way down, that our great heroes of the past are vitally interested in what we're doing. Because they're not just a cloud of memories. They are a cloud of witnesses. They are a generation of people that did not possess the promise. But we have possessed the promise. They looked at Pentecost and longed to see the day Jesus said that Abraham, your father, he rejoiced to see my day. Power of what they left behind. I believe, and forgive me if this sounds uh, different to what you believe, but I believe the power of what they left behind pales in comparison to what we picked up to move on with. I thank God for the moments that we read about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Oh, my God. It's powerful. Imagine waking up in the middle of the night and see this ladder with angels ascending and descending. Powerful. But not one of them, not one of them ever possessed the promise. Not one of them were standing there on the day of Pentecost when it was fully come. And they all received the Holy Ghost. They are standing on the other side of that promise saying, stay with it. That's what we wanted to see. That's what we longed for. Keep on running. I feel today, I, 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 I feel that if we could get a picture of this cloud of witnesses, you can believe whatever you want to, but I'm going to tell you that they don't just stand in the balconies of heaven looking down at us. I believe that in times past there have been visitations of these people from clouds of witnesses. Oh, well, I, I, I don't believe that. That's okay. You have a right to be wrong. Well, what do you mean? Well, it's in the Bible. It's a good place to start. When Jesus took his three disciples up the top of the mountain, the Bible said that there appeared out of that same cloud of witnesses two men on the top of that mountain. They did not appear in the heavens and then look at it from the earth. As a matter of fact, John said, Whoa, it's good for me to be here. And the Lord Jesus Christ allowed his disciples in that moment. It was scary because they looked up and it was such a powerful moment as they looked at their past. With Moses and Elijah, it was so powerful. They said, well, let's build three tabernacles. Jesus said, I ain't having that. 
and he blinded their eyes. And when they came back to and they could see, Moses and Elijah had disappeared. And the scripture said they saw Jesus only. I am Jesus only, by the way. This cloud of witnesses has worked its way in and out, even through different spirits resting on dispensations. And I don't have time to get into this. But we truly believe that Elijah, that the spirit, the anointing, the mantle that had rested on him, we saw it again in John the Baptist. Amen. We saw that. And I believe that spirit is still there. But you understand this when I say this to you today. We have got to get back to realizing and understanding that that dimension is not so far away from us. It's not. That dimension is not so far away from us. I, I, I wish I had time to go into the Old Testament and talk to you about the prophet coming back. It was very, very, very clear that they had tapped into another world and had raised up the voice of the prophet. Because Samuel came into that room and he said, why in the world did you conjure me up here? Now, I, I, I want to be very careful with this because I don't want anybody misinterpreting what I'm saying. But we have biblical proof and evidence that that world is not far from us. Why does that matter to us, Pastor? Because I believe that the heroes of our faith are not far away from us. As a matter of fact, I believe they're so close that on a Sunday night when the Holy Ghost gets to moving just right, you can hear the echoes of the ages of our elders that have gone on before us saying, come on, son, keep preaching. Come on, keep on running. Come on, son, don't give up now. On a Monday morning when you're distressed and your life is a mess and you're wore out. It's like you feel that gentle nudge of an old elder of the faith. And Bishop, the prayers that they prayed that are stored up in vile, those prayers don't go away because they cross over. Those prayers are still praying for you. Now tonight there is a weight that comes on us. I want you to understand that we stand on their shoulders in the history that is before us. And that's why every service matters. I said that's why every service matters. That's why there's never going to be an unimportant Wednesday night. I'd love, I'd love to be able to hear love to be able to hear my elders on a Wednesday night when we come in here with our program pre-programmed ideas but somebody decided on a Wednesday night it was a good night to get delivered and all of our little pre-programmed ideas of what Wednesday night's supposed to be like I, maybe y'all are just maybe I'm just out there but sister Doris I can't help it sometimes when we get to have in church, I, I don't know how to explain this, but I, I promise you, it's almost like I can hear Edward Murray. I mean it. I, 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 can't, I can't give God enough thanks, Bishop, for the precious people 
I, I walked down in the basement the other day, and I, I don't want this to sound spooky, okay? I'm not, I'm not out there on some crazy deal. They've been working in the basement. And uh, I walked into the room next to my old office, which was my dad's old office and my papa's old office. But that room was the men's prayer room. And I started telling the story that I used to go as a little boy and sit in there at Papa's desk during pre-service prayer. And there would be an old Kentucky hillbilly voice on the other side of that wall. Brother Hildred James would have his face buried in that far east corner of the room. He'd get over in that orange shag carpet. And I'd, I'd get in there in my Papa's office and I'd hear him. My voice is a mess, but I'd hear him. Hallelujah. I don't know why I said hallelujah, but he always did. He'd say, mm, hallelujah. I walked in that room the other night, and I know it wasn't with these ears. But it was almost like I, I, when I walked in there, I just heard this voice saying, mm. No, the prayer room's not still down there, but we do still have one. I wish I could do this world a favor and resurrect Edward Murth for just a couple services. Everybody deserves to see that once. And you miss some of the best parts of him if you didn't come to Thursday night prayer meeting. I'd like getting new people, evangelists and folks like that that had never, never been around Brother Murth and put them over there close to him while he was praying. Because he'd just be praying like I'm talking to you right now. I love you. I need you, Lord. Without you, I'm nothing. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And out of the clear blue, he'd go, ha! <laughs> oh, man, it scared people to death. <laughs> he would. He, he, he was a simple man. Didn't, didn't, didn't need a whole lot to exist. Loved toys. Loved to tinker around with stuff. But he was serious about his faith. And, and I, I recall, I'll never forget, the last service that Brother George Looper was in this church. I'll never forget it. I'll never forget the last service that he was here. We were all, me, me and my granddad and Brother Mike Bingham and Jeff, my brother-in-law, were getting on a, a flight to go to the Philippines. And Brother... Brother Looper had passed away. We were at the hospital right after his passing. And uh, I began to reflect. I had preached on Sunday night. I preached, oh, I want to see him. I'll never forget it. I preached, oh, I want to see him. And when I stood up in the pulpit, I had my mother play, and I sang, oh, I want to see him, look upon his face. And I preached about 20, 25 minutes on heaven and this place erupted and people began to dance and to shout and my phone rang on Monday morning and that raspy voice on the other end said brother Luke I didn't even have to look I said yes brother Looper he said I just wanted to tell you that the word blessed me last night and he got excited in the way that he would his voice would crack he said I got to thinking about heaven and I boy he could feel the Holy Ghost on the other side, and I, we didn't know, but just a couple days later, 
that he would cross over that Jordan River and he would finish. You were with us that day, Brother McLean, when we went to the hospital. It was a, it was a crazy moment. Even family didn't understand why we were rejoicing. But we understood exactly why we were rejoicing when Brother George Looper crossed over from a pew dweller to that great cloud. And, and you can call me crazy. That's fine. Call me crazy if you want to. But I'm just going to live in my own little world. And I have days. I have days where I'm thinking, God, I don't know what else to do or where else to go. And I'll, I'll just hear this voice in my head that says, Amen. Well, they do. He'd stand up. The Holy Ghost get all over, Brother Looper. I think of those that have gone on before us. Unless you got her outside of the church setting, I bet you Kate Walker didn't say 15 words to you in the church. But oh, dear God, I bet there weren't 15 services in my life that she missed. Kate Walker was a lady of God. She invested in stupid little old puppets that people thought was a waste of time. It's just cloth. It, why do you take all that time making clothes for them? Because I want one little kid. One. We come down here to the church, Sister Sandy. We get down there in the room with a tape recorder. You had to push record and play at the same time. And when we messed up, we were high class. We'd just rewind and overdub and punch in. You could hear where we were punching in. So we had it. But I've watched those precious saints of God as we'd walk into nursing homes and Children's homes where they were mentally challenged kids. We get all that stuff set up. I could sing you some of the songs. Down by the creek bank in the old holler log. I remember, man, we our arms would get cramps in them. We'd be doing the deal, and then you'd stop moving your hand. John Duggan would say, "It's your part." Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Start moving them again. I don't know, I don't know what it's going to be like when we get there. But Sister Darla, sometimes, I promise, it's like I look back and I just see that worship. I could call name after name after name of people that this world wasn't even worthy of. You'll never know. They had faults like everybody else. But oh, dear God, tonight, Bishop from that cloud... It's like I can just hear him say, don't stop running. Don't stop running, son. Keep on running. Listen, my wife will tell you this is true. We've had this discussion. And I, I know I kind of slowed down here, but I'm, I'm going somewhere on purpose. My wife and I have talked on several occasions about my father-in-law and my, my grandfather during this season and how crazy everything's been. I don't, I don't believe my father-in-law could have made it through this season if you knew him you know what I'm talking about you don't take Randy McCausland and lock him up anywhere I, we've been preaching to him in jail since we could get in <laughs> they said you're going to quarantine I'm not either I'm not there's just some people that God has answers that we don't have 
And we don't, we don't know why they're missing. We don't. But oh God, I hear those voices. I don't hear them with these ears. But I hear those voices. I, I, I do. I hear them, Brandon. I hear those voices. I said, don't give up, son. Bingham's watching you now. Don't, don't give up. I, I, I hear those voices. I, I wish so many times. Dad, I, I, I've, wished, I've tried to tell people how it was, and they just don't know what it was like to walk into the old green carpet building in Sulphur and hear L.P. Upton pray. I wish I could. Oh, God, I'd give anything if I could hear him pray. But I don't, I'll never hear him pray again. But I'll tell you what I do hear. I hear those times that they'd sit down with me and they'd say, don't you ever walk away from truth. Don't you, don't you ever preach anything else. Those old men look you square in the eye and say, you know, if you preach any other gospel than that which we've preached unto you. Don't quit running. No, they may be gone from here now. But they're looking at, a, at us from a perspective that we don't have yet. And they're looking at the time that we've got left. And I believe that the orchestras of heaven, the choir loft of heaven, I know there may not even be a loft, but just let me preach to you tonight. I believe that from the balconies of heaven, they come down and they look. And they encourage us and say, you don't have as far to go as you think you do, son. You're closer than you've ever been. Keep on preaching. You're closer than you've ever been, choir. Keep on singing. And I know this don't make sense to a lot of people. And if you've never heard me preach, you probably think I'm a looney tune. I'm going to tell you this right here is why I love being in the presence of the Lord. Brother Steve Wilson said when Patrick died, they kept on coming to church. You know, Patrick passed away and they, they should have went on a month sabbatical, eight weeks, just quit. And every time the doors opened, Bishop Wilson was in the house of God. Somebody came up to him and said, Brother Wilson, I don't know how y'all keep doing this. I don't know how you just, you just keep showing up. And this is what he said. I've never forgot this. It changed me. He said, let me tell you something. The Bible says that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And he said, I wish for nothing more in this world than to be with my boy again. He said, but I can't be with my boy here. He said, but when I get in the presence of the Lord, he said, I am where Patrick is. And I know. I know I can be in the presence. That's why I like coming in here on Sunday night and have an old-fashioned apostolic revival because I hear those old saints say, Come on, son. Keep on dancing. Keep on shouting. Keep on running. Don't quit. There's a story. I want to share with you tonight, um, I'm just about finished. There's a story in the early 1970s, and for the sake of the story, I'll just call his name Johnny, if that's okay with you. There was a man who ran track at Mississippi College in the early 70s. 
His event was the one-mile relay. He's a good runner. Johnny vividly remembers one particular track meet when it was time for the mile relay and everything that happened that day from long jump to high jump to pole vault shot put. Discuss the 50 and 70 and 100-yard dashes. Everything they did came down to the one-mile relay. Johnny said that his coach came in and huddled up the track and field team. He said to them, guys, if we win the one mile, we win the whole meet. But if we lose the one mile, we lose the whole meet. He said, man, the pressure was crushing. It was, it was heavy. And he said he was going to run that last leg. And Bishop the story as it unfolded, it's a very long story, but it, it was so powerful to what I'm trying to preach to you tonight. He said that he, he looked over his shoulder and he, he, he saw the runner coming. And I've, I've preached about this so many times, not this story, but this transition period so many times in my life. But he said, as the runner got close, he said, I took off and I was running. And he said, I was reaching for all I had. And he said, I felt the other runner put the baton in my hand. He said, when I closed my hand, I realized in full stride that I had dropped it. And he said, I, I, I knew when I dropped it, he said immediately, you know how it is when your adrenaline's rushing. He said, in this particular race, you were not disqualified if you dropped it. So you could pick it back up. And he said, so I just picked it up and was going to run again. He said, but when I, I ran back to get it, I kicked it with my foot. He said, when I kicked it with my foot, it rolled into the infield. And when it did, we were automatically disqualified. He said, I lost it in the transition zone. And that way, we, we lost the whole meet. But he said, I knew I only had one option. And that was to come back and do it again. He said, I had the speed. Oh, God, I wish I could preach this. I had the speed. I had the skill. But I lost it in transition. He said, so I'm coming back to do it again. And he went home and he worked out and he ran. And came the time for that same deal the next year. It was the big, the big deal, Mississippi College, big deal. And he lined up. And sure enough, there he stood, looking over his shoulder. Here they come. Here they come. They're getting closer and closer. He started and he said he reached back. And he grabbed that baton and he had it in his hand. But there had already been another transition in front of him. He said, that runner took off. He said, man, I was giving it all I had, but I couldn't gain ground at all. He said, I, ju I just couldn't gain my ground. Now, I'd, I'd made it through my transition, but I, he said, I, I ran. My lungs were burning. Couldn't, couldn't hardly breathe. He said, I was running for all I had. Didn't have anything else left. When I looked up into the bleachers, he said, my mom and daddy were up there saying, come on, Johnny. You can go, son. Come on, Johnny. Come on. You can make it. He said, I ran just a little bit harder. He said, but I, I couldn't gain ground. He said, and then I looked in the infield, and I just kept running. He said, my coach, who never said anything, was jumping up and down, saying, come on, Johnny. Come on. You got this. You can do it. And he said, something came over me when I heard him cheer. He said, something came over me. And he said, all of a sudden, I went from six feet to three feet to two feet to six inches. And as I got to the finish line, he said, I crossed over the finish line and I tripped and fell. 
And I rolled over and I looked up and the crowd was cheering. He said the, the whole place was cheering. And they, they called his name and said, Johnny so-and-so, had they just won. He said, my coach never said anything to me. Brother Stephen, he said, I was laying there on the ground and could not breathe. He said, I felt like I was dying. When my coach walked up and he leaned over, looked down in my face and he said these words. That's all he said. He said, you did good, Johnny. I got to reading that story and I thought, you know, that, that may not be much to some people. But I don't care how long it takes me to get there. When I cross the finish line, Bishop, all I want to hear is you did good. You've been a good and faithful servant. You gave it all you had, son. You made it through the transition zone. Enter in. Now good. You did good, son. You did good. When I take my last breath in this world, (laughs) there's not much else you can say about me. I'll have no control about what they put on my gravestone. Of course, I'm just believing we're going to go in the rapture in Jesus' name. But I'll have no control over what they say over me. But right now in this world, I've got control over what he's going to say about me. And I've come on this Sunday night to encourage somebody. You may be weary from running. You may be facing decisions right now that you don't know how you're going to make it. But I'm reaching for you tonight to tell you, keep on running. You've just about made it. And the end is in sight. Keep on running. It don't make sense, Pastor. I don't know how I'm going to do it. You're going to reach down inside of you. You're going to get that second wind. I used to hear you preach about that. You're going to get that second wind. Something's going to come over you on this Sunday night that tells you you can make it. Listen, I, I, I don't know who I'm preaching for tonight. But I felt the need to encourage somebody in the Holy Ghost in this place. I didn't, I didn't even feel like preaching. Bishop said, you want me to preach? I said, I'm going to preach. Because I'm reaching for somebody in here tonight. You're tired of running. But I'm just asking you to put your head back. Take you another stride and run for all you've got. I know it's been trying times and you don't know what's going to happen next. But you're going to keep on running. And you're going to cross the finish line. And when you do, you're going to hear the coach say, you did good. You did good. If you want to finish tonight, I'm just asking, if you want to finish tonight, would you just step out by faith and say, Lord, I'm going to keep on running. I'm going to keep on running. I'm going to keep on running. Oh, I'll keep on running. We're shaking hands tonight with a revolution, something greater than a revolution. That great cloud is reaching. Say, come on, keep running. You can make it. You can finish. Go back and try again, son. Dust yourself off and go try again. Come on, let's reach out to him tonight, church.